Hello everybody and welcome to the 37th episode of the Alienverse Prepped Galaxy podcast. This is your usual host, Aaron Percival, as you'll probably know me better, Corporal Hicks. And joining me is my usual co-host, Ridgetop. Hello again, everyone. And we have a special guest today. You'll no doubt recognise the product of his work if you've uh, played Alien vs. Predator 2010. Um, it's the lead designer, Alex Moore. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, guys. Yeah, um, yeah. thank you for organising it. Um, not just a product of my work. Many, many people worked on that project. <laughs> of course. So, obviously, we're going to be chatting about the, the game. Uh, that, that'll be mostly what we'll be talking about. Um, I don't think I've ever really seen you talk about it after post-release. I don't think there was very many post-release interviews. Probably not. Just, I, I guess, before we start, just say everything I'm going to say um, is my opinion, my thoughts. It's not reflective of Rebellion or any other company that I've worked for. Um, so, yeah, it's all just me. I wouldn't have done any post-launch interviews because I actually left Rebellion very shortly after release. Right. Um, sort of felt like it was time to, to try new challenges um, and ended up in Liverpool uh, working at Bizarre on uh, the James Bond Bloodstone game, which was a really good experience. Mm. Well, actually, before we do talk about Alien or Predator, yeah. uh-huh. um, let's talk a, you know, let's go a little bit more personal. Let's let's talk about how you got involved. With Six foot two. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not quite that personal, but how how did you get involved in the gaming industry? I guess. Like going all the way back, my friends had uh, Commodore 64s and then Amigas, and naturally I wanted one. And my dad took me down to London to a computer show, which was really good fun. Um, and he bought a thing called a PC, and, uh, because I think he saw through the fact that I, I wanted an Amiga for schoolwork. And, uh, and yeah, so he bought me a PC. And little did he know that Doom was about to come out. <laughs> Nice. Um, so Proper betraying your age there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not young. Um, so Doom came out and I, I played it. I, I liked it. I didn't, I didn't think it was the best game I'd ever played. Um, but then a magazine uh, ran a ran a cover disc with an editor on it, and that was it. From there on in, I was just addicted to making content, and, and then sort of did the path of going to college, going to university. Quake came out just because I started university, bought a PC with my student loan, so I could make Quake map. Got a pretty good reputation online for doing that. Just about blagged a degree at the end of it, but um, it's like, well, what do I do? And uh, someone said, why don't you have a go at getting into the games industry? Did so you not? I, sorry, did did you not study um, game development at, at uni then? No, that game, not a thing back then. Game, game development wasn't a thing when I was a lad. Um, <laughs> no, um, there might have been one or two places that were thinking about it, but no. Generally, there was only one lecturer at my uni that said that games was a viable career, and he left after my second year to go and join Criterion. So. <laughs> That was Serious Sam, was that? Serious Sam. Criterion, didn't they do? Mm, no, Criterion were Burnout. Oh, okay. Um, racing games. No, I'm thinking Crow Team, aren't I? That's it. So yeah, and that's it. So I kind of I applied to some places after uni um, on the basis of the strength of sort of the multiplayer maps that I've made for the Quake and yeah, landed a job at Rebellion and uh, never looked back. So would you say in general, like, modding is a good way to, to get started in game development to kind of give yourself a portfolio for, for the studios to see? Yes, definitely. It, it gives you it gives you a lot of strength um, in terms of, yeah, obviously learning the tools, learning how you actually make content. You know, some of those early maps that I made were atrocious really really bad and i apologize to my friends for inflicting them upon them um but um you, you kind of learn self-motivation as well if you're doing it just for yourself yeah i guess you, you get your eye so you start learning how to iterate and how to polish and how to actually finish something and finishing something i'm sure is that anybody knows is is the hardest thing 
but, but yeah, it's really good. And obviously these days, you know, so many engines out there for free that are fully fledged. You don't just have to make levels. So I'm very intrigued. I've not, I've not got around to it yet. Um, but, um, I'm very intrigued to look at Snap Map in the new Doom and have a go. Rebellion was your first uh, industry job. Yeah. You, you've told me this in private, but go on. What, what was your first job? One of your first, first tasks at Rebellion? Oh. <laughs> Well, the, so the day I turned up, they didn't have a PC ready for me. So they sat me down uh, next to Jess, who she sat at the front of the office, but she was in no way sort of the office admin. She was the person that kept everything running at that point. They put me on her PC and said, right, play AVP Gold for us. We want to we want to test it. Um, and Jess just sat there laughing as I completely <laughs> shit myself for the whole time. <laughs> so I, Did you play it before that, the, the, the classic version? I'd played the demos. I'd not actually played the full game at that point. Uh, yeah, it, uh, I think sort of the blur of leaving uni and trying to get a job I not. I wasn't really playing games at all at that point. I was just trying to focus on figuring out how to earn a living. Um, Completely so, understandable. Yeah. So yeah, so that was that was an interesting introduction. And then you end up in lead designer on on the next one. Well, it, it was a few years in between, an awful lot of projects. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I did really well. Uh, Rebellion always treats me really well. Always had a really good rapport with with the Kingsleys. My mum and dad ran their own business um, when I was growing up, so they were really good for just offering advice and saying, look, if something's wrong, just go and talk to the boss. Because because, you know, bosses are bosses. They're not mind readers. They don't know what everybody's thinking, what everybody's doing all the time. They're just sort of, you know, they're trying. To, they're busy trying to keep the company going. Um, so if you've got issues, then you need to go and talk to them. And I always did. And Jason always, always had time to listen. And uh, yeah, it's always good. I suppose they appreciate that kind of uh, direct nature as well. I can be quite direct. Yeah, that, that has been said. <laughs> Okay, well, before we confuse anybody, we've, we've mentioned that you were the, the lead designer. Uh-huh. Could you explain for folk that role and, and how it might differ from the, the name positions that you tend to hear when people are talking about um, new games and game development? I mean, a lot of it will no doubt depend upon the company that you're at and the size of the game that you're at, that you're working on. You know, a smaller game, so like on Rogue Trooper, I was lead designer, but I was incredibly hands-on with content creation, content creation um, on Rogue Trooper as well, because there were 20 of us. So I did quite a lot of the early level layouts. Um, not all of them, about half, um, on that project. And God, I, I even did some some art that, thankfully, an artist managed to get some time to spruce up properly later on. On something bit, a bit bigger, like um, AVP Wells, like I said, we had about eight people um, on that project. It's it, it's more people management, role assignment, um, listening to ideas, um, and trying to work out which ideas are the right ones to take forward, iterating, prototype. There's a lot of management, a lot of listening to people, a lot of emails. I mean, like an average day of that on that project was kind of the first half of the day was basically just reading emails, replying to them from from everywhere, from the team, from the publisher, from yeah, from the fan base, ev- everywhere. And, and yeah, just working with the other leads because you know it, every single person that works at the games industry is creative and they're always going to have input. And yeah, I guess the lead designer's job is to kind of try and filter all the ideas into something coherent and then get taught by the producer that there's not enough time. So. <laughs> and uh, it, it wouldn't be a chat with someone involved in the Alien and Predator franchise if we didn't ask about how you first saw uh, the movies. Uh, when did you first experience the films and, and what are your thoughts about those? I was trying to work out how old I would have been. Um, you guys might be able to help. You never know. <laughs> um, so I watched Aliens 
first, which I suspect was off the TV. I suspect it was on TV late one night and we recorded it. But I remember sitting down with my sister and watching that, um, who's older than me. And we had a, we had a corner shower in our house. Um, and I remember being absolutely petrified for weeks that there was an alien in that corner shower every time I went into the toilet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh god! So obviously had quite a big impact, and then Alien in widescreen came out on VHS. There was this great trailer for it, and which was on the front of the VHS as well, uh, which was like you know. So you think you've seen every horrifying moment of Alien on tape, and then the little four by three image shrinks down to a postage stamp. Well, think again, and then it goes full wide, which was which was. Yeah, it was tied in with Die Hard going to widescreen release as well. And I had to get my sister to buy that for me, um, I think for my birthday. So I was probably like 14 at that point, maybe 15, because obviously it was an 18 rated. And then I sat down and watched it. And the tension was ruined slightly by obviously having seen Aliens and knowing that Ripley must just only be the only survivor. But then it was like, well, how's everyone else going to die? And then, you know, you get halfway in and suddenly realise that actually it's an incredibly scary film. <laughs> and then Predator. I would have watched Predator around at someone's house that had Sky. You know, they actually had Sky, which was very rare back then. Other than that, um, I remember being at school when Alien 3 came out and not being able to go to the cinema and being absolutely gutted. Um, and Alien 4, a bunch of us at university went to see it and came away very disappointed. <laughs> you and I imagine a lot of people. Yeah. Now then, did I see, I can't remember if I saw the first AVP at the cinema or not, but we went to see Alien vs. Predator Requiem the cinema for obvious reasons and being... Disappointed? Well, um, I mean, Adam won't have seen Hollyoaks. I guess it's a bit, a bit like Dawson's Creek, but lower budget. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's um, how they described a lot of the uh, teen drama was the Dawson's Creek line. <laughs> yeah, um, I, you know, AVP. I was. It, it was basically Hollyoaks where everybody dies. So it was. I, I mean, in some ways, there's, there's enjoyment to be had from it. But yeah, it was just so dark. <laughs> I, I can't see anything. Yeah, you're you're the first one we've ever had that's given it slight praise, and I I actually really enjoy that movie. So, and Adam's the uh, the black sheep of the staff. The black sheep. Of it's it. just fun garbage, is what it is, and I don't know. It's just great. We we have very high expectations of what these movies should be, and the games as well, I suppose, because you know the first two Alien films, the first Predator film, the phenomenal pieces of entertainment, right, and they they've impact. The impact you a lot, and I think it doesn't matter sort of how old you are when you come to see them. It, it sort of it seems to leap generations. It's a bit like the original Star Wars trilogy. Mm. You know, my um, my nephews who are seven, they're absolutely addicted to those films. And yeah, the more modern releases, the episode one, two, and three, that they, they can see that the you know they're entertaining, but they're not going to stand the test of time. Um, so we obviously have such high expectations of, of anything alien related coming out being another one of those moments in our lives that's so memorable. Did you ever get around? seeing Prometheus? Oh yes, yeah, I saw it in 3D and then I saw it in 2D. Oh, so so I, paid, I paid twice at the cinema to see that film. What, what did you think? We're given a, a blog post about it, about how it wasn't scary. Yeah, I remember uh, that. So, th- th- which has since disappeared into the ether because my internet host blew my website up about 18 months ago. <laughs> um, I've got a backup somewhere, but you know, it's the same old, same same opinion as everyone really. It's incredibly pretty, um, but massively disjointed. It's just. Smacks full of logic, logic errors, left, right, and centre. And as you're watching it, it's standing out, which is really bad. It's not even a, an hour later when you're discussing it, and someone goes, "Hang on, you know, it's it's halfway through," which just pulls you out of the experience. But I, I think mostly the, 
you, you didn't care for any of the any of the people at all. You know, they've got they've got such a phenomenal cast, and you just you just couldn't give a shit. <laughs> I think that I think the only one that really ended up being any memorable that that was Fazbender and David, who yeah. who's a semi antagonist of the of the film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he he played it very well, but it's hard to latch on and really care about any of them. And it, it's it's kind of weird that I don't understand why the Charlie's the wrong character. I'm sorry, I can't remember the character names at all. Um, I can't really understand why her character had to be so one-dimensional and so just focused on being nasty. It's like she could have she could have she could have survived quite easily. There's no, you know, she she could have become the one that you, that you ended up rooting for because she was the underdog, right? She was she was the son that was that, that was never had. So yeah. I- I think I think like you were saying with a franchise this big there's just a lot of expectations all around and and for something as big as the the alien prequel um, if they weren't just going to go go all out with that idea, it was difficult to to really meet those expectations for a lot of people. But with with the Alien and Predator games, I mean, did you play any of those prior to working on AVPR and AVP 2010? Uh, what did you think of those? Um, well, obviously after joining Rebellion, I, I played through um, the classic an awful lot, um, and then yeah, when AVP 2 came out, um, we all we all played that because obviously way back when we wanted to do AVP 2, <laughs> and that didn't happen yeah so we all played abp2 and you know it has some really good bits um some some really some really good good stuff in there and then what else would have come out in, in the interim uh, you'd have had concrete jungle and the rts yeah i didn't, didn't, play, didn't play concrete jungle did I? I we may have i think we looked at concrete jungle for reference when we started doing um requiem on psp mm-hmm. um but didn't didn't really study it that much. Um, oh, what about some of the older ones then? Um, trilogy, oh, trilogy should have been a relatively big one. And yeah, you're going back a long way now. Yes, I I will have played them at some point. I'm afraid I, I was never that devout into them. Did you ever try the um, the Jaguar AVP? Did they have that at the office at Rebellion? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a few Jaguars still still kicking around. Yeah, no, that was brilliant actually. I was yeah because I mean when I was like I don't know, I guess fourteen or fifteen. I was trying to save up for a Jaguar with my best friend, and um, the only game that, well, yeah, that seemed worth playing was Alien vs Predator. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was good fun actually. It was good to get hold of that, and that's some really good stuff in there that we did actually use for, for 2010. And how did you originally become involved with? with 2010? Well, I mean, I've been at Rebellion quite a long time by that point, and, you know, I'd, I'd risen up through the ranks fairly quickly when, when the company was small. It was only sort of 25, 30 people when I first joined, um, and doing PlayStation 1 games take sort of six months to a year. Um, I, ended, I, I sort of got a, a reputation for being very a very solid designer and lead on, on small projects doing those. Then uh, Judge Dredd came along, so I, just, I did quite a bit of work on Judge Dredd. Okay. Sort of, yeah, yeah. Up to about, yeah, Dredd vs. Death. Um, up to about Alpha Point, I think, on that, and then I shifted on to the PlayStation 2 port of World Wars, what, what became World War Zero Ironstorm, which was which was brilliant because that, that game had come out on PC and we were responsible for doing the, the PlayStation 2 version. I think we had about a year for it and it was really good. Edge loved it and said, if you're doing a first person shooter on console, look at this game. Um, just for the, the slickness of the controls and the weapon balance. Um, and it actually, it was actually regarded so much higher than the original PC version that we ended up converting it back to PC. <laughs> Yeah, which was, yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, and then af- after that finished, um, Rob Trooper was kicking off. And so I, I ended up on, on that, um, as lead designer. We did really well on that. It was a great project. 
um, really good team, really good material. As any company is always pitching for work all the time, um, and you obviously pitch for work with people to the people that you've worked with in the past and that you know. Um, so you know, all throughout that sort of six or seven year period, we would we were putting alien game pitches in. Yeah, find another one of them bit, and it was tying in with EVPR, the film, which was in very early stages of development at that point, very hush hush. Um and we got asked could we could we make a next gen game in nine months? And we said no we can't <laughs> <laughs> So um so that's that's where sort of ABPR came from. Um that that was basically we, we can get you something out in time for the film on PSP, then we'll carry on working on on on, on the full next gen title in the background. Um, and that's where yeah, we sort of ended up as lead designer on that. Cool. Okay, so let, let's get on to uh, let's get on to 2010 then. Yeah. So I, I think it'd be it'd be pretty fair to say that the game was received with uh, positive to mixed reactions from critics and fans alike. Mm-hmm. You, you've got some people who really enjoyed it. You've got some people who were yeah, you, you know how it. But you, it holds a pretty um, you know a, a pretty high rating on, on the Metacritic size, generally seven and stuff around that. Um, mm-hmm. What what did you think of the reaction to the game? Well, it's, it seems to be systematic of quite a few of the games that I've worked on where they'll get reviewed and yeah, be sort of sixes and sevens and then. The actual fan base seem to always rate it a mark higher. So, like, you know, Rogue Troopers are a mark higher, um, and ABPs are a mark higher. It's difficult, right? Game, game reviewers obviously get a lot of games landed on the desk. And certainly Sega Europe put an awful lot of effort into the relationship with a few of the bigger UK sites, which was great. You know, the, we, we got to meet the journalists several times and came to the studio for a visit and, and got a good a, a good dialogue with them. And it started off sort of us doing presentations to them and then sort of they came back maybe six weeks later and then they got to do some hands-on um, and then obviously we did the E3 stuff. So they, they were they were a lot more aware of the game and they knew what they knew what was coming and they'd seen us play it. So they knew they how had expectations as to how to play it. I wasn't involved in the... American marketing campaign. I don't know how, I don't know how that was handled. Uh, we didn't get any exposure, I don't believe, on that. But I don't think that they got quite that same level of, of interaction. Well, they obviously didn't get interaction, that level of interaction because they didn't come to our office, which, you know, you wouldn't expect them to fly over to Oxford <laughs> just for a game. And all they would have got really was sort of 10 minutes of, of me shouting um, at E3 um, until my voice gave up. So they wouldn't have had that expectation and that knowledge base, I guess. Um, it's interesting with with certainly with AVP because it's quite complicated to play and it's quite a complicated concept that you've got three completely different species to play. You know, one can walk upside down on walls, one can jump into trees, um, and the other one is is the easy one to get. So I think some of the reaction came from that. And I, I, I think the Game Informer review said that he didn't like the fact that the alien could walk on different surfaces. I think that that was the first main review to come out and I remember there was a lot of like fanboy internet shaming of of Game Informer because they thought the review was was pretty uh like the guy obviously didn't seem to have much experience in the Alien versus Predator universe because he was criticizing the game for things that were kind of expected in that. So I I thought the review was was a little unfair to be honest when I first read it but I remember being being very sad. It's you know you work on something for a long time, and um, I mean the first game that I worked on, the Mummy, worked on for about a year, and it was the first time that anything that I'd worked on had gone out into the public domain. And then I think the first review came out, and it was maybe a four or a five. And I think I, I just felt so deflated. It's like you've been punched in the in the gut. It's like you know what did I do wrong, or what did we do wrong? Um, 
uh, it's, as you get older and you work on more games, you realise that, you know, if people don't like a game, then they don't like it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if they're criticising it for various things, you can't say, well, you're playing it wrong, because there is no, you're playing it wrong, they're playing it how they want to play it, and if something's not right, then something's not right. And going back over AVP more recently, you know, the alien is very disorientating if you're not used to it. Um, it's It takes a, it, it's a very difficult learning curve, and possibly looking back, maybe we should have you know, we should have done a, a much gentler ramp in the single player. Should should we have kept the alien basically on the floor for the first 20 minutes and then said, oh, by the way, you can walk on a wall. And, you know, I was a bit caught up in people want to just run on every surface. And when you're working on something day in, day out, it's very difficult to get that perspective and that distance. Considering that it's the fourth, I suppose, um, AVP first uh, first person shooter, is there a sort of expectation of people, you know, the people that are going to be buying this are the, are the fans of the people that have played the other ones? Do, do you ever sort of, you know, you expect people to be aware of how it's supposed to handle? I don't think so. There was so, there was so much time between AVP 2 coming out and, I mean, obviously in turn that we were calling it AVP 3. Uh, it's, it is a different fan base. We, we were primarily focused on, on Xbox 360 and, and PlayStation 3 as the release because you know, that was Console was like, at the time, then, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was most likely to be the biggest market, um, which I think it was um, in the end. Um, I don't ever recall seeing any PC sales figures, man. I remember you chopped the tarts on wheat release for consoles. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's sold a couple of million really fast, um, which is which is brilliant. And yeah, but I, I, like I said, I don't know. I don't know how well I did on PC. I think, you know, I think you've got to go for like the James Cameron kind of approach with the sequels, where you've got to assume that people haven't necessarily seen the original. It's got to, it's got to stand on its own legs. So it's, the balance, of course, is making sure that you don't really frustrate and annoy um, people that are familiar with it all early on. You know, if they if they spend two hours basically the legs chopped off uh, before they can before they can do what do what they want to do, then um, they they'll probably they'll probably be an equally loud backlash about about that. <laughs> so it's hard to balance. It's a very tricky balance. Personally, I thought that the wall walking worked really well for the alien, and and also just my opinion here, I think it's a pitfall of a lot of modern games. Is is I think often they try and make it a little too accessible to as wide a crowd as they can. They they try and hold gamers' hands through things and eliminate the learning curve. And I think, you know, I miss how how games had learning curves. You know, there were games that you actually had to fail a lot to become to become good at, and it seems that's kind of in the minority now. So things like that I personally don't have a problem with, and I'd actually like to see more of, like games that, that have dynamics that players are not used to and that they have to really learn how to master. Yeah, definitely learning, learning to master something is, is good, especially because when, once you do learn it, you become you feel very powerful in it, and it rewards you for the investment you've put in. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. People have got so little time these days. Yeah. Uh, and there's so, there's so many games coming out vying for your attention. Um, if, if you're not going to click with something very quickly, then most people are just going to put it away. Trade it back in. Yeah. Okay. I would, I would expect. I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah. I wish everyone was like you, Adam. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> It'd make my life a lot easier. <laughs> so. Okay, so next question then, and this is the kind of thing that I'm I'm interested a lot in with the films, and that tends to be the history and how things change over the time that these things are made. You know, the the, the films are documented really well, but it, it's something I've noticed of late is that you know d- development of games isn't isn't particularly documented that. 
that well. You know, I'm, I'm curious about some of the history of, of 2010. Uh, if I remember rightly, well, the game started its life under the old publisher, which was um, Vivendi, um, if I'm saying, saying that right, um, before Sega picked it up after they merged with um, Activision. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, Vivendi went through a transitional phase where they brought Activision out, but then said, by the way, we're Activision now, um, is, if, if I remember correctly. Um, it was it was an interesting time. We were probably I guess we were a year into development at that point. Mm. I think yeah, because it yeah the PSP game had come out and that was that was done, dusted and released. I think we knew on the grapevine that Colonial Marines was in progress at Gearbox, though I don't think it was public knowledge at that point. And then yeah, and then it all happened. And then Activision naturally did a big review of, of the whole portfolio, and and yeah, we got dropped. But at the same time, I think it worked out well because. You know, Fox had obviously licensed Aliens Colonial Marines to, to Sega and licensed Alien vs. Predator to, to Vivendi. And, you know, that's, it's like a, <laughs> it, it's obviously an old situation that, that I think the fact that we both ended up under the Sega banner, um, probably helped. So how, how much did the game change over? Over that change of um, publisher, it's hard to know really because you know we were we were still finding our feet. Games change an awful lot over the development cycle, um, so it's hard to know how much it changed because of that. Whether we would have ended up with the same game or not, I, I honestly don't know. You know, it coming under Sega, obviously we got you know new producers on their side, a new yeah a new, a new team on their side that probably possibly wanted slightly different things to what the Vivendi team would have wanted. But yeah, I mean it's a collaboration. It's you know, just keep going um, and just try and make the best game that you can um, in the situation. And it, I mean, the, the relationship with Sega, I, I, I always got on it really well with um, with the counterparts. It was really good. One of the one of the things I thought was interesting about AVP 2010 was that. It incorporated a lot of elements from the more recent lore from Paul Anderson's AVP. We had never really seen, you know, pyramids like shown in the film in, in a game before. I, I thought it was really cool, but considering how generally disliked the movie was by fans, uh, I was curious why the game took that direction. Why, why you, your team wanted to incorporate those, those elements for the film rather than sticking with just essentially aliens with predators, I guess. I don't remember a conscious decision. Um, I think we were just looking at, at all the all the stuff that was in front of us. You know, early early story ideas revolved around quite a few things. Uh, interesting. I was listening to the uh, the podcast um, with Tim Levin um, yeah. that you did a while back, mm. and it was interesting hearing him say about an idea that he'd had about the Sulaco turning up at Earth. One of our early story ideas was that the predators had found the Sulaco and set a trap. But you know, I think one of the, one of the big things we got told early on from Fox because obviously the Colonial Marines was in development was that we couldn't go anywhere near Haldis Hope, we, we couldn't go anywhere near the Sulaco and we couldn't go anywhere near the, the Space Jockeys. Oh, I was going to answer one of my other questions. <laughs> so, yeah, so with that in mind, we thought, well, let's look, I guess, more more down the, the Predator side of stuff. And I was very keen, you know, I thought that the, the Marine and the Alien campaigns were, were pretty well handled in, in the classic game and the um, ADP 2 but I always felt that the, the Predator just didn't really ever control like anything other than a guy with a lot of armor on. So I, I really wanted to focus on trying to make the Predator feel more like a Predator, what you'd expect. So I think, I think it just sort of probably fell out of that, and we were just looking for a hook, I guess, to try and bring the focus around the Predators and the Pyramid. You know, the Pyramids are cool, right? And you see the concept art, you know, 
might have did some really nice stuff. So yeah, I don't I don't remember a really conscious decision. I, I don't know if you if you've half answered this already then, um, because literally the next question was going to be about the um, space jockey. Oh, right. Because um, some some of the early artwork hinted at a connection between the jockeys or the elder races that were described in the artwork and the Predators going as far as far as to suggest that the Pyramids were a docking station for the ships. Why was it uh, abandoned? Why did Sega not want you to do it? I thought perhaps it might have been Prometheus, because I would have thought that would have been in production about the same time. I think that was 09 they were working on that. I I didn't know anything about Prometheus at that point um, while we were making the game. I, it would have been Fox. Fox would have just said, you know, there was a lot of, there would have been obviously scripts and stuff around um, that they, they they would have been privy to. It would it was just feedback from Fox, I believe, saying, you know, when we when we pitch ideas, just no, you can't do that. Um, real quick, I just had kind of a tangent question on that. Um, how involved was Fox really in terms of uh, like creative control? Did did they just say, okay, you can't touch these number of things, but other than that, you know, go nuts or? Or were they constantly checking to see if the game was something they wanted to represent their franchise? Um, early on, I think actually that was one of the things when when we were with Vivendi, the producer that we had at Vivendi had very close ties with the producer at Fox, so they they obviously had a lot of discussions. So we got fairly good feedback early on with that, um, and obviously the films the ABPR was going on at that point as well. So there was quite a lot of to and froing. But then I think once the rough direction was settled, I don't. I don't recall personally any real um, interjections or, or monitorings, but equally that wasn't my job. So there could well have been somebody else at Rebellion that was fielding an awful lot of stuff in the background that I didn't know about. Next one's, I don't know, it could seem a little bitchy, this one, I'm not sure. Um, classic uh, AVP, um, 2000 or whatever, whatever name it goes by, uh, or you call it, whatever. You know, it always felt like mini-games more than a, an overall story. Mm-hmm. I think 2010 had the same sort of feel because I never felt like there was any, obviously not to the extent that, that Classic did, but it never felt like the, the, the 2010 stories were massively cohesive. Like, why did these predators show up and they disappear here in this other campaign? That that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I remember rightly, there, there was never really one person script writing it it was just ideas you know a, a bunch of you i'm trying to phrase that without coming across <laughs> like a dick um you know, I, I was i was wondering why why you guys didn't have a, a writer for the game basically um, so we did have a writer gordon Rene, who i'd worked with a lot of them and got cost nice 2008 because he'd written an awful lot of 2008 um and he wrote the rogue trooper story for us as well um he was he was drafted in to to work on AVP early on, um, and it was discussions mainly between myself and Sam, who was lead artist, and I think Ken, who was the lead technical animator. I think it was us three early on doing story ideas and basically trying to get yeah trying to get the early pitches done. And then Gordon did a couple of treatments, and then I know that one of the big things was trying to work out how we could get the game with the scope that we wanted with the art team size that we had. We didn't have a particularly big art team, so we you know we made the decision early on that all three species would be going through the same level geometry just because we didn't feel that we had the time to make three separate sets of world so we were trying to work a way of sort of interweaving storylines very closely and things just got chopped and changed an awful lot sort of as we went as we went further in i know that sort of towards the end of the project um matter who was one of the designers and 
worked on recently released fragments of him, which had been really well received. He he did a treatment for the story specifically on the marine side, I think, which I think we ended up using quite a bit of. But we'd already got an awful lot of cinematics sort of set up and ready and a lot of mock-up done. So, you know, the later in the project you start changing the story, the more expensive it becomes to do that. And, yeah, possibly just time, just getting getting the message across in the way that we wanted. We didn't we didn't get it right, I know that much. I'm sure we could have done better, but... Is there, is there any particular things that you would have liked to have changed about that if, if you could redo it? Anything um, that stands out to you when you go back and play it? I think um, it would have been really nice if we could have done more with the alien before everything went burnt. You know, we, I, I seem to recall that really early on what we wanted, the alien, the alien story was basically going to be the first section. It was, it was going to be more set. The, the marine and the predator were going to be very close to the tide, but the um, the alien one being more about you're the you're the reason that everything has gone to shit on the planet, and we just I don't know we just we just run out of time I think, and you know doing clean versions of environments and destroyed versions of environments it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that was it. That was that's probably the biggest. You know, in, in the game's defense as far as story goes, um, I think a lot of games effectively handle story by having it in the background and having the game focus more on the experience. I mean, it was one of the things I really liked about um, the first PC AVP by Rebellion, the 99, 2000, whatever, is that the story was there, but it, you know, it was told by video screens and it was kind of told in, in background events. The game was more focused on on the experience. I mean, the narrative was present, but it wasn't the focus of the game. It's one of the things that I don't know if you've had much experience with the new Doom reboot at all, but but that I game. Time to play it yet. Yeah, that game handles handles that in the same way. I think is that there is this backstory and this lore that you can look up through video logs and things you find and, and little hints in the environment, but the game is just kind of focused on the experience of what it is. And honestly, I think that's what AVP 2010 did did really well was was put you in that experience. I don't think it needed some complex story because I don't think the writing in, in Colonial Marines really uh, saved that game from much of its criticisms. I think the the experience for, for 2010 was solid in that regard, and I, I thought the story was was fine for an AVP game. I, I really enjoyed it. But um, kind of on to the, the next question here. One of the things that, that the AVP games have always done well was how they approach the gameplay design in all three species. You know, they're not just carbon copies of each other. Really, the only FPS experience you're getting is with the Marine. With the Alien and Predator, it's it's a whole different dynamic. Um, 2010 kind of took it further, in which it was the first game that really had a, a melee-focused system. Uh, so we were curious as what designs led to that approach, and what did you think of its implementation in the final game? Um, it was hard, I know that much. Very difficult to get working. We went through so many versions of, of combat, close quarters combat, because obviously, you know, the alien in particular is always going to be close quarters, because that's what it does. And the Predator's got these bloody big great claws on his wrist, so you know, he's going to want to use them. So we, we knew early on that you'd have to have some up close and personal stuff. One of the biggest things that we struggled with was working out how the aliens should attack specifically the marine because in avp classic it was a pc game on a mouse and that gives you the ability to turn around very quickly um and also at that point when avp 99 came out um you know players were more like the kind of thing that that you want now adam where players will give a game the time and to learn it and understand it and sort of recreating the alien ai to do the same to the player where basically it's a hide in the shadows 
and then basically do a very fast attack um, charge and then do a do a sweep attack jump past hit the player disappear again you know you spend an awful lot of time in in AVP classic basically turning around <laughs> and and trying to keep trying to keep focus and it just didn't work on console we just couldn't get it feeling we just couldn't get it fun basically and all the feedback was that people felt they were dying unfairly because basically these aliens were just taking them apart and, and then disappearing. And by the time you turned around to find out where he's gone, another one's coming at you. So we ended up with sort of slowing the aliens down, bringing them up in front of you and attacking. We tried a system where the aliens wouldn't attack you from behind. So of course the testers then just get through the levels by walking backwards. <laughs> the joy of the joy of game design. <laughs> Think, things you don't see. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. So you got through and so we ended up with this yeah, the system where they, they came up to you, stood up, hit you, and then and then left. And uh it was difficult, so hard getting that to look even relatively decent. You know, the animators had such a hard job because, you know, the reason aliens are scary is because you don't see them. And so when they stand in front of you and go, Ah yeah, it it detracts slightly. So that was a very difficult balance. And then yeah, the melee system just kind of developed from that because the very early stuff that we had it still it still wasn't particularly satisfying, especially for the predator. Um it was it was just a time based thing. Um, and you'll love this, but the Marine had um, quick time events, so you know you get pinned down and have to press the right button. And actually, you know, it 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 was kind of all right. It was very simple. It was just button mashing, and it, and it felt panic. But it was all right once or twice in a level at max. And then you know, I think at one point we had a bug in the system, and we ended up you know you get pinned down by every single alien. And my God, it got boring quick. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just one of those things that you try so many things, and and you end up coming up with a system and you know the the guys that were ultimately responsible for doing the melee system they had a very hard time getting it working because the initial pass had been based upon player reaction times and trying to visualize and absolutely nobody could see the window of opportunity to do anything and everyone was just getting beaten up so everything got slowed down again and again and again and i think we ended up with the reaction times that you know if you read any any sports science about what sort of player reaction times are and, it, and then it adding input lag and all that um, I think the actual times in the game were maybe three to four times slower than what we'd originally thought, um, which again then gave the animators a hell of a time because you've told them that they've got a quarter of a second to, you know, you basically got the, the arm coming in for the heavy attack or whatever, and you say, right, okay, you've got you've got a delay for a quarter of a second, and then two weeks later you say, no, try and make it half a second, and then actually try and make it a second. And suddenly this animation that looked really good, suddenly there's an alien stood there, theoretically just pausing for a second, um, and still people don't get it. <laughs> Um, however, when you do get it and you know the animations and you learn the system, it works really well. Yeah, I like it a lot and I'm still really proud of it. I, I know there's a lot of people that don't like the fact that the Marine can sort of push the aliens off so easily. It's difficult because, you know, it would have been very easy to make the Marine campaign so very difficult and so very hard place to get through, but it just didn't focus test well at that. So, you know, you have to pair it back so the aliens are a bit easier to kill and let the player feel powerful. Yeah, I remember it was really described as like a, a rock, paper, scissors type yeah, of system. Yeah, for the Marine and the Predator. Yeah. Uh, sorry, for the alien versus the Predator, it's rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, the Marines had their, their light attack, but they didn't have a heavy no, attack no. like the, the aliens and the Predators. So I don't. I think from a game place, uh, game play standpoint, it was needed. Just otherwise, the Marines would have been a little too helpless in, in multiplayer. And there was a bit of a fuss over the lack of 
crouch or iron sight mechanics in the game. Iron sights eventually made an appearance in Colonial Marines. I think we heard that the lack of crouch was because testing found it was only really used against uh, human enemies, but is there any insight you could give us on that? Like, what decisions led to iron sights not making their way into the game? When you say lack of crouch, is in for the Predator? No, the, the Marines. Really? Are you yeah. sure about that? Yeah, I, there's, I, there's, I, there's no crouch mechanic in the game. Is there not? Mm. That surprises me. Uh, <laughs> okay. I was playing it the other day, I'm sure I was crouching. I honestly can't remember why, why that would have been. Um, iron sights, well, okay, so did, did you feel that iron sights were necessary in Colonial Marines and did they enhance your experience? See, th- that's an interesting thing because the first that time was I... sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> it was one of my complaints the first time I played Colonial Marines was it, it felt like the aliens were being neutered so that mechanic would work. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they were slower. It seemed deliberately slower so you could... You could uh, scope in. It, it, as, as a fan, you know, that was a, you're just neutering them for the sake of gameplay. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the mentality? It, I, I, I were discussed a lot. I think my, my argument is still that, you know, as, as I, as I said earlier on, an awful lot of the difficulty with, with the melee combat and just dealing with the aliens full stop was that ideally to make it feel more consistent with the law, the aliens should, should be doing the, the quick attacks, the diving paths, the sneaking around, making the play turn around. For the player to have a good sense of awareness as to where the aliens are, you need as wide a field of view as possible, and iron sights restrict that. So if you've got an alien charging down and you've gone from having an 80 field of view down to a 40 field of view, you've suddenly lost a lot of potential. So it, yeah, it didn't feel necessary to me. Now, later on, when you bring me the droids, um, we give you a weapon that does have iron sights because that turns it into a much more traditional sort of slightly cover based. There is iron sights in the game on a different weapon. It's not on the, um, that's the scope. Yeah, it's not on the uh, false rifle. The other one as well is the control system. Try making a control system that works for three species with common buttons for the core mechanic, yet also having all the other stuff. We really struggled trying to work out where to put it. And obviously, you know, there were buttons free, but then there were buttons that were free because of because they're not used <laughs> that much. Or the kind of thing where you don't want to be panic pressing one of the sticks down and suddenly being in iron sight, which does happen a lot. Both of the earlier AVP games and Monolith's AVP 2, uh-huh. um, they, they, they were really well received and generally held in quite high esteem by, by fans and the players. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever really look over those um, entries while you were working on 2010? And were there like any issues? Like They'd done things that obviously you guys didn't end up using, like the life cycle or whatever. Did mm-hmm. that legacy cause you any issues as well? The, the life cycle thing would have, was desirable and we would have loved to have done it. It was literally just a cost, again, because it only takes it from three species to more like five because you've got a face hugger to do and then you've got a Bambi alien to do and then you've got a grown alien to do and ideally you'd probably put a teenager in there. Now, from a tutorial perspective and from a learning curve perspective, it would have it would have been really advantageous. But we just couldn't afford to do it, which is a shame because it was it was it was I'm gonna say it was pretty well done in AVP two. And I say that because I felt the sneaking section of the Bambi just went on a bit too long. Yeah, so the life cycle would have been really good. The basic combat system in AVP Classic, so as I've said obviously you spend a lot of time turning around. The other thing that you always do, which Sam who's the lead artist really pointed out to me and was very keen to try and get in was that you've got you've got a, a contrast you've got do you throw flares around and have the motion tracker or do you go into night vision so you can see better 
but lose the motion tracker. And that's a really beautiful bit of game design in, in AVP Classic. It works so well um, because you, you constantly don't know which one's better um, because the flares kind of feel a bit safer as you make this little pool of light around you and you move around. And the night vision, yeah, but obviously losing the motion tracker is, is so phenomenal. It's such a big handicap, especially with the way the AI system works. In it's AVP so Classic. random in Classic, wasn't yeah. it? We didn't, we didn't put night vision in in the end. We did have it in. Um, and we, we, we just... <laughs> It didn't quite fit. It just something didn't gel, so we had to lose it. And because we really wanted flares to to have environment shadows, because they look so much nicer, like night and day between having environment shadows and not. But unfortunately, you can't cast four, or you can't let the player throw four light full shadow casting lights around them at any one point um, on console. Let alone when you get to multiplayer and you've got a bunch of people trying to do it. Um, just watch the frame rate die, and you still, I mean, you still can't do that on a top end PC. So um, you know. Fully, fully dynamic environment shadows are still one of the most expensive things going, which is a bugger because they look amazing. <laughs> yeah, the game was really well optimized for PC. I know when I was first getting into PC gaming, like me and my friends all got it, and and for for a 2010 game, the the graphics were just incredible for the PC. You know, the the three monitor support and everything, it, it was just really well done on that regard. Um, one more bit about the, the legacy. One of the things I really enjoyed about the original AVP was eventually the action kind of made its way off the planet in and into space. Like you were on space stations and spaceships. And I was I was just kind of curious if that was ever planned or discussed or if it was kind of budget constraints on that too. Like, was there ever a plan to, to have a mission on the spaceship that eventually showed up later in the game? Kind of the opposite. We were going to start the Marine on the spaceship and do the tutorial on the spaceship, but yeah, decided we had to cut it because we didn't have the hard time to do it, really. But I don't actually remember us ever even blocking it out, but it was definitely discussed early on that you'd start, you'd start on one of the ships. One of the... I haven't played it because I've yet to be able to find one at a reasonable price, but... Obviously, I've seen um, the gameplay footage, but for the original AVP on the Jag, one of the mechanics was being able to uh, hide people up. There's like a save point or egg yeah. off them or, or whatever it, it was intended to be. And it's something that you, you always saw sort of crop up as um, new games were showing up, people asking for that kind of that kind of ability again. Was was that ever ever considered, ever looked at, or was that just prohibitive? You've stirred a memory somewhere that, of a conversation, but I don't I don't know if we ever took it past just chatting about it. Yeah. I, it, it, again, it's sort of, you know, console gamers have come to expect regular chat points. You know, some games can uh, can get away with it um, and really, really sort of you can really pander to, to the fear aspect. Obviously, isolation does um, does very well with its save points. Yeah, I think we've may have discussed it. One of the things I was really keen on doing, I was really keen on trying to make the marine player feel connected to the other marines. So I wanted to scour the friends list on your console, and when you looked at the hived up bodies, I wanted to use your friends list names uh, <laughs> as, as like identifiers. But I don't, I don't think we were allowed to do it. I've got, I've got data protection. I don't, I don't think you can't get, you can't get access to that level of, of information on the uh, in the system from what I remember. I don't know. Or someone else said that's a really stupid idea because people have really stupid nicknames. Um, I can't, I can't fully remember. But I always, I was always keen on that. <laughs> Uh, one of the points of contention that fans had towards the game was the trophy system. On one hand, it was really cool from a visual point of view. Um, you got these, you know, awesome, brutal kills. And, and on the other, it, it offered kind of a, uh, what some people consider to be a cheap insta-kill button. Personally, how well do you think the feature was added into the game? 
it's one of those things that you you write in a doc or you discuss you discuss with the, the team as to you know let's let's try doing this and then you, you the team members go off and you you kind of almost forget that it's in progress and then a week later a bunch of people are suddenly gathered around the monitor and it's like what's going on and you go you go to the animators monitor and uh, it was Mark Bradshaw who did the first one he was vegetarian and the nicest softest <laughs> gentlest person on the planet and he suddenly showed this animation of a head being ripped off on the time and the spine being tickled and I'm like where did that come from how, how did you create that as uh, <laughs> and and feeling your stomach churn but also going well actually no that's that's perfectly in context that's that's exactly what predator would do i mean whether whether you can actually pull the head and the spine out quite that cleanly i don't know i don't want to find out um, <laughs> and i think from that moment on we knew that the feature was probably gonna well one be a bit controversial but two also you know have the impact that we wanted and you know i mean obviously rebellion had continued that sort of vein with the with the bullet camp in Sniper Elite. As for actually how from the, the mechanic side of it working, in single player I think it feels really good. Um, in multiplayer, yeah I know you can get the chains going. They were lovely for marine players. Yeah. Yeah, 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 just drop a, drop a grenade in and go. I think, I, I don't know, possibly we should have disabled them in multiplayer. It's, it's just difficult, which is kind of an expectations thing. I can do this in single player, why can't I do it in multiplayer? Uh, and there is a risk in, involved, because if you're doing it in the, in the multiplayer game, then yeah, there's a high chance of, of a Marine coming along or someone else coming along and, and killing you as well. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with it. And I know that's really going to annoy some people, I'm sorry. Personally, I thought it worked really well too, and it, it added like a visual, you know, intensity to the game. So I was personally, I I never had an issue with it. I think it worked very well from the whole. The, the one thing I always really enjoyed um, about the melee system was it was very visceral, very in your face mm-hmm. um, kind of action. I always thought the trophy system worked really well in complementing that as well. It was, you know, as well as being pretty damn gory. You know, it, it was straight there. It was straight action, straight in your face. But in in terms of the general feel of the game, I thought it, I thought it was spot on. You know, I could. Always always understand people's complaints with the conga line stuff but it's like you say isn't it it's expectation balance it's kind of thing you know we saw it a few times in in team testing but i think people generally sort of skirted around it um just because it, it wasn't the most efficient way of killing people um but of course that doesn't necessarily matter when you've got hundreds of people playing there's no accounting for everybody's play style is there yeah Something I really liked in the Predator campaign was these holographic recordings showing the history of the hunt. And I thought that would have made a really interesting collectible for the Predators. And on the same vein, I thought for the aliens, they could have done, you know, genetic memory kind of flashback things. It it would have complemented the audio diaries from the Marine campaign really nicely because... You know, that was world building, that was expanding on what was happening around you, but the ones we got were sort of static, collect them for an achievement items. You know, that kind of collectibles are pretty commonplace now, you know, games expect them. What sort of consideration goes into putting those those collectibles together and did you ever consider anything like that for the, um, the alien or the predators can we just say not my finest hour and uh and move on <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we could have done more I, it was one of those things for some reason i always just got a complete block um, on what, what we could do for the collectible side of things i mean the audio diaries for the for the marine were pretty pretty obvious the holographic stuff was just at, at the time we were just focused on it using it to tell the story i don't i don't recall it ever becoming or anyone saying suggesting that it could have been a collectible yes nice idea go back and do it um patch it in. um and then i remember really struggling to work out what the the thing for the alien would have been and also the logic of well an alien doesn't collect anything you know you're not walking around with a little backpack 
Um, <laughs> and I know that smashing the Royal Jelly containers wasn't the most satisfying piece of gameplay ever. So yeah, not, not my finest hour on that one. I'll hold my hand up, that was my fault. Fair enough. There's probably about three of the designers on the team pulling the hair right now going, I told you we should have done such and such. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't a Rebellion game, but prior to 2010's release, the modding community had kept the game AVB2 alive long after its initial release. 2010 never really featured official modding support to the same extent, and it's something that a lot of AVP gamers kind of lamented. So we were just kind of curious if, if that was ever a plan, or was was there a reason that it wasn't ultimately given more official modding support? I would have liked to, definitely, because obviously I, I come from a modding background, you know, making Doom maps quake maps and so on um, and I can see and I, I know how valuable it, it is however it's such a massive amount of work um, and it, we just weren't set up for it we didn't we didn't have the team size to basically be able to make a version of the engine that you could yeah that you could edit so it, it, it was mainly, it was mainly that again really we, we didn't have we just didn't have a big enough team to, to support that kind of thing also, because we were lead, lead platforms with consoles at that point, really, you know, the only sort of games that had done any editing on console was sort of like Time Splitters 2. Um, yeah, I remember so that. It's the one that stands out. Um, and we looked at that, but again, it's like, well, you know, to, to create that kind of system, wow, it's a, it's a lot of work that, you know, they could actually create content that, that would be worthy of what you'd expect. And obviously, I'm very intrigued to see SnapMap for Doom, um, as to how they've done that. But, you know, the, the amount of work that goes into creating the level, um, the amount of technical considerations, um, if you're in it on console, and that there's not much support on console for sort of downloading mods, as it were. So yeah, it, it, it's a, it, it, it would have been very nice, but it, it just wasn't high enough upon the priority list, unfortunately. Now, one of the things I really have to give you and your team serious praise for is the inclusion of dedicated servers on PC, because uh, we can still go online now and find active servers for that game, and it's, that's pretty rare for a six-year-old game. And it, I always have to kind of shake my head when multiplayer PC games don't include that these days, because nothing, I think, helps with the multiplayer longevity uh, more than that. So, So that was... Awesome that you guys did that. I can't, uh, I can't take the credit for that. I don't know exactly who that would have been. Oh, that really? would have been Tim's call or Kevin, who's the head of programming, or whether that would have been Andy or Morgan, who were the sort of the lead coders. I, I don't know who, 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 who I can attribute that one to, but yeah, it was, that, that wasn't my call. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I supported it, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't something I pushed for. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I think, yeah, I think that was a little while after I, after release, if I remember. Okay. Yeah, I, I would have left it all in at that point. So, yeah. There was a lot of pushing okay. for it from the uh, community. Because, you know, the, the game was essentially designed for console, wasn't it? And a lot of the AVP players coming up were these PC, you know, PC background that the games were. The, the, the recent games have been on PC, so there was a lot of sort of pushing for that. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of thing that these gamers were expecting from their old PC games. And it's, it's like, um, it's like I've said, you know, we went on yesterday and servers on there playing. And if I'd tried to do that on, on the Xbox, I'd have been sat there for about three hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's really good. And it's, it's nice to hear that people are still playing it. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for supporting it then. <laughs> but in general, how do you feel about the, the kind of lack of modding support kind of all around really that we're seeing these days? It seems kind of rare and rare for PC gaming. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, 
Um, I assume that other dev companies and teams are in exactly the same position that we were in, where you know you've, you've got you've got a very tight budget and time frame to get the game out. You've got to have a lot of people really championing it. Um, it's got to be an integral part. You know, a multiplayer full stop is very difficult because it's such a huge amount of time to get it working, even with all the all the libraries that you've got these days. Matchmaking is always always painful. Um, you know, you get it you get it working beautifully on your internal, then you get it fine on all the test servers, and then you launch it. You do a beta, and you know even some, something as big as Destiny, and it just falls over um, as soon as you put a bunch of people on it, um, and everyone sits there scratching their head, going, "What's gone wrong?" <laughs> so, um, so adding adding a level of mod mod support is yeah, it's got to be built into the engine pretty much from day one. It's sad because you know, like I say, it's how I got in. At the same time, you know, these days, if somebody wants, and it's, I know it's not quite the same, but if somebody wants to to learn the skills, then you know, get you get unreal um they'll any any one of the other sort of game maker type type engines there's so much stuff out there where you know it's a fully fledged engine that you can tinker with and make something i know it's not the same as making content your favorite game but i think that's more where the issue comes from for folk because you know i love the game owner i want to do more for it mm. yeah, like we said that pretty much did keep avp2 alive mm-hmm. people are still doing um people are still doing maps right now not obviously not as many. So uh, I suppose while we're talking on further content, yeah. So a- AVP 2010. I'm not gonna lie. I-, I love the DLC for that. Okay. You know, everybody thinks DLC is evil nowadays, but you know it's commonplace. And the the two that you guys put out, I, I really enjoyed. If I remember rightly, they were more planned, but you know that that never came to be. Um, I was hoping you could just tell us a little bit about what about what new content was was planned. I can't because I've left Rebellion. So yeah, the the DLC that came out with the game I knew about because usually sort of when you, you, you're doing your release you've got your you've got your day one stuff ready, you've got your day thirty stuff ready, and then you've got your kind of day ninety stuff sort of well in the pipeline by that point. Just because the amount of time it takes to get stuff through approvals. So I knew I knew that stuff was going on and I saw what the guys were doing. Um and yeah, played played most of it as well. But after that, no, I'm afraid I have got very little idea as to what else is planned. Okay. Fair enough. This might have been after you left as well, but the console versions of AVP never received the the final patches that the PC version Mm did. Uh, Sega dropped all the support from the console patches and future DLC before most people thought that they would. So there were some rumors floating around that Sega was in the midst of financial trouble with Colonial Marines and wanted to focus on that going forward. I mean, is there anything that you can comment on uh, regarding this? And do you feel like they didn't give your team the resources you would have liked because there were two games in development at once? I don't think Colonial Marines would have impacted on us in that regard um, because that was Sega America, whereas we were Sega Europe. And certainly at that point, they were very separate entities. Everybody, every you know, you always want more time. You always want, you know, it doesn't matter what game you're on, you always want another few months just to do it a little bit more, or you know, add, add something else in. Every dev team on the planet wants more time, so you know, we 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 knew what our deadline was, and and we got the game done in in that for it. Yeah, it would have been nice to have done more. We we, we needed to come out, and we came out, and we did we did pretty well. So as for the consoles not getting the patches the PC got, from what I remember, there was quite a lot of there's, there's a lot of stuff sort of with the platform holders with both Microsoft and Sony, I believe, at that point, where if if you wanted to release too many patches, they got suspicious. They were like, well, why didn't you finish it? Why didn't you get the game right before you released? And so I believe, I could be completely wrong, but I believe that like the cost goes up incrementally. You know, the first the first few patches cost quite a lot anyway. Mm. From what I remember at the time, it was like $10,000 per SKU, 
So, you know, we've released in what, four different SKUs, I think, three, three or four different SKUs. Um, so, and then times how many platforms you're on. It's a lot of money for a patch. So there's got to be somebody really pushing as to why that patch needs to be done. Whereas on PC, I believe, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if Valve charge money for that sort of stuff or not. I've never worked on that side of the game, but I, I would imagine that it's, it's a lot easier to get the PC stuff patched. And also, as you say, you know, the PC is where the multiplayer is continued because that's where the dedicated servers are. And other than what we've discussed already, was there any particular challenge or achievement from AVP 2010 that sticks out in your memory? Well, I said it a few times, I think. Um, I don't know how publicly, but we did a lot. We did an awful lot. The team hit about 80 people. Um, sort of in the, in the final year, but we were going for a couple of years before that with a much smaller team. Um, and we, you know, we, we got three completely different species in a game working next gen and we stuck multiplayer on there as well in, in, yeah, in about three years. Whereas there's a lot of games out there that take twice as long and, and don't do half as much. So I'm really proud of all the work that everybody put in. We, we did, we did some other time, but we didn't do anything like some of the stories that you hear from, from other, other dev houses. And, you know, still get on with a lot of the people that are in the team still on my Facebook still trading salts here and there um, you know we've all we've all split up all over the place so yeah I'm just really proud of it in a lot of ways yes it, there's a few things that possibly would have done a bit differently but otherwise yeah um, yeah just just happy with it, I think. You guys became quite involved with the fan base on our website, on AVP Galaxy, and on other other forums. With all sort of places, you get your loud voices that can drown out any sort of help, helpful feedback that you're actually looking for. Do those kind of direct interactions are, are they helpful with your game development, or is it is it a hindrance to come on and get yourself involved on that level? I don't know. I wanted to do it. I was very keen to, you know, with, with Rock Trooper, there was always a good fan base and. Because I always feel that I, I came from the community myself. Um, you know, the re- I was really friendly with a lot of people back in the in the quiet world days, um, sort of like yeah, the late nineties, and and that was tight knit. And we all we all sort of relished waiting for somebody else's work to come out. Um, and there's you know there's people still making maps these days. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it, it's difficult to say whether it's a help or a hindrance. I just wanted to give something back. And you know, you got a lot of people on the team always giving you ideas and. It's my job as the lead designer to, to listen to as many ideas as possible and try and make something coherent out of it, you know? And sometimes there's really good ideas that don't make it. You can, you have to explain why you're not taking that, um, taking it forward. So 2010 clearly sets itself up for a sequel, um, but obviously we never, we never got it. You know, that kind of stuff generally gets, you know, banded about a little bit before. Uh, you know, in the studio. So I was wondering if it ever did come up, if there was ever a direction being discussed, if the series had have gone. We we got some rough ideas, I think. I don't think we got so far as actually putting a story together. I was doing some some prototype work, definitely, but more on sort of sort of different AI systems to the aliens and how they get into how they get in. Because obviously by that point we got a, we got a mature engine, and I got a bit of free time on my hands because um, I knew I was leaving. Um, so yeah, just sort of tinkered really. Um, but as to whether anything official ever went forward, I honestly don't know. Because yeah, I'm afraid I'd, I'd left. But I did have I did have really good fun messing with the engine because I'd, I'd not really got much chance to make a great deal of content on the game. I did the I did the alien tutorial in the end and, and ended up taking that. That was about it, really, from what I can remember as to actual stuff that I made that that would have made it into the final thing. And uh, yeah, it was good fun actually. You ever you ever sort of missed that? You know, it, 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 it's, messing around. Yeah, well, no, no, is is <laughs> you. 
rising the ranks and you know you, you're playing less with what you with what you started started doing what, what you were doing it for yeah definitely yeah yeah you miss you miss content creation um, i'm actually doing a lot more content creation these days than, than i yeah than i did when i was a lead so, um, so you're doing freelance work at the minute is it? i'm doing freelance work yeah but mo- mostly for the same place really good little studio in, in liverpool called fire sprite um, hello guys not that <laughs> anyone will ever listen not that any of them will listen this far they'll just laugh at the fact that i've done a podcast um, something wrong with podcasts <laughs> I was actually um, really big into Wipeout HD okay. and Fury. So so that's all those guys, right? Uh, it's some of them, yeah. Um, they're splintered into sort of two or three companies. Where one of them's Player Rise. And it's also doing really well. They did tabletop racing and Spice Bright. Um, some of the guys went, oh, I've forgotten the name of the company. Now, Soulfly. They did Soulfly, but then they merged with Starship. Um, but there's quite a few little, little micro companies sort of in and around Liverpool. And it's a really good little thing. And there's just so much talent. Yeah. Work, working with people that worked at, at Signosis on Shadow of the Beast. No less. <laughs> um, you know, it's brilliant. I am walking with giants these days. <laughs> Definitely still hoping for another wipeout one of these days. But I did have a couple questions on um, AVPR for PSP real quick. You were listed as a design consultant. Mm. I think you said Fox approached you uh, about this game. Was that right? Like I said earlier, any company is always pitching games left, right and centre because yeah, especially when you've got as many people as as Rebellion had at that point. I think they had about 200 people um, in total. You've got to know where your money's coming in from the next project. So you're always looking for the next project. So yeah, so I think we got we got a sniff that there was maybe an, an, an AVP film coming and maybe some like secret secret discussion somewhere or down a pub that that it might be about a predator crash landing on Earth. So we ran with that and we, we put a prototype together um, on next gen. As a first person. Uh, yeah, first person predator. Yeah, as a pitch. And it, it was, you know, I mean, it was it was. It was very obviously a prototype, but it looked really good. Um, and we put it in front of them and they said, how did you know that? <laughs> um, and that's when the question came up, you know, can you do that? Can you make this into a next gen fully fledged title in nine months? And we were like, no, this is not a chance. Um, so yeah, AVPR sort of dropped out of that. I mean, you guys are pretty well known for doing sort of quick PSPs back then. Yeah, they've done a couple. Tim in particular. Oh God, I forgot what it was called, man. Yeah, Tim and Kevin did, did something for launch, I think, on PSP. Basically, the Azure engine, really good and flexible. For that sort of stuff really good at, at supporting platforms basically out of the box I think at that point they were the first dev team outside of Japan to get PSP unit they had a really good really good um, relationship there with Sony and yeah and I, I assume that's still continuing because I mean obviously there's the, there's the battles on stuff that they've been promoting very heavily coming to PlayStation VR so they've obviously still got a really strong relationship there which is great and uh, yeah it should be good fun actually the um engine is something I've been pretty impressed by because it was really surprising to me that that a game with the graphics like AVP 2010 was designed with the same engine as like AVPR on PSP and like Shellshocked 2. It, so it seems like it was really well built by Rebellion and and you know robust and versatile. Are, do you know are they still using it on the um I assume they probably are on the the sniper elite yeah, series. Yeah, sure there was there was some some banter on Twitter recently where I think somebody asked Jason if if they were using Unreal when they did the Sniper Four um, announcement, and uh, I think I'm pretty sure we replied saying no, we're using our in-house Azure. You know, I mean it's pretty mature these days. It's been going for a long time. Things will have continued being adding added. I, I very much doubt it's the same the same beast that that we used on AVP. Uh, will we'll just continue getting better and better. And we did have one final question on AVPR. Um, it seemed like some of the elements were based more on the older drafts of the film as, as there is a queen alien that makes an appearance in the game, but no pred alien. Um, 
I was just curious as to how much you had to go on as far as the film-based resources were concerned when making the game. Um, this is the kind of question that I really hope I don't get in trouble for answering. Um, so we knew there was a Pred-Alien, and we, we'd done it with the Pred-Alien, and then we we got word very close to the end that we weren't allowed to use the Pred-Alien because the game was going to come out before the film, um, and they didn't want the Pred-Alien reveal spoiled by the game. So we took it out. We, we had, like, a mad scrambling week of quick let's put the put a queen in um we took it out we we I, I, there, there's a lot of long hours all of a sudden and the, the team in Bombay that was the old ignition studio that, that we that took over and they, they they got a hell of a task you know they, they got bought out by us and then given a very short time frame to make the game they did really well and i mean we, we, we were helping at that point yeah but there was a lot of hours put in to, to change that around and then the first trailer for AVP I dropped and it added Pred Alien in it. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, what? <laughs> but it was just like, oh well, you just gotta, you just gotta laugh. You know, I've gotta ask, you know, you, you've played in the sandbox. Have you played the games that came after yours? What did you think of Clone and Marines? What did you think of Isolation? Yes, I have played them. I haven't finished either of them. So <laughs> Uh, Colonial Marines, I was trying so hard to get through. I was like, I'm gonna finish this because, um, I've, I've known about the history of that game for a long time. So, and seeing the resources that Gearbox were given, you know, access to Sid Mead, access to the rights of Battlestar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> I had to play it and find out. And, uh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> said the least. There's obviously a lot of stories about the development of that game. Maybe one day someone will be allowed to talk about. Um, I feel sorry, to be honest, for the team involved because, I mean, it's, it's like any game that's hyped up so much. You're never going to hit the expectations, but obviously some bad decisions were made somewhere along the way. And yeah, it's a real shame. Uh, but uh, I mean, but most, most of the point, you start the game and the pulse rifle's got, what, 40 rounds in it? And my heart just sank. It's like... All, all the nonsense that Randy came out with about how much he cares about the license and you've done that. No. <laughs> what did you think of the um, the comments that he made? In, you know, the, people sued um, sued them for. Um, the was it? Yeah, was it? yeah, and he he responded saying it was vindictive and wasted time. What do you think of those kind of comments? Is that oh that kind of response to a game? I guess to 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 advertising. Sorry, real quick. I think the suit came from from um, the fact that they used an entirely different game engine for their E3 premiere of the game for the the level they had set up. Uh, it was an entirely different engine that they ended up using. Uh, so a lot of people felt that. Um, the way they premiered the game, even if it wasn't an earlier state, was a little I, too deceiving. Yeah. The Twitter rage that kicks in for certain things that just seems so vastly out of proportion um, as to the real issues that are going on. I think this is one of those things that, you know, becoming a parent changes you. It really makes you look at things with a different perspective. And I can I can understand fully how disappointed people were at that game. Seriously, no more disappointed than me because I wanted to make that game. You know, we obviously pitched for Colonial Marines several times. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's sad to see it in the state that it's in. But to, to go as far as to try and sue somebody over it because ultimately it's, it's forty pounds or sixty dollars. It's it's not the end of the world. It's, yeah. So I, I think possibly that's a bit overreactionary. That's my own personal opinion. Of course. Um, 
And I, like I say, I, I, I'm, I'm as disappointed as anyone in that game. I think I kind of worry about Randy Pitchford a little bit. I think he's obviously got himself into a pretty bad place and, you know, kind of hope he's all right. I, I don't know what he's like to actually work for. I've never actually met him. Um, but he said an awful lot of things. Obviously in the lead up to the game, he promised an awful lot that they didn't, that they didn't deliver. And then I think, you know, you were saying earlier about the, the fan base and, 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 interacting with them is it a help or a hindrance and I think possibly in that case it's probably hindered him somewhat because they've made some some great games (laughs) well after that debacle I swore off that's just me being vindictive I suppose (laughs) okay on on to cheerier because well I'm hoping it's going to be cheerier isolation (laughs) oh sorry isolation yes isolation yeah Um, yeah isolation is much cheerier in the sadistic sense the guy the guy yeah the guys at Creative Assembly did an amazing job. Certainly in, in the feel of the game and the aesthetic, it was, yeah, it was phenomenal. They did really, really well there. And they were very brave. You know, they managed to get, they, they managed to pull off the whole, you know, you can die very quickly, which, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's the truest sense of, of what you'd expect an alien to be. It, it is intelligent. It's not going to just come running blindly at you as you fire at it, is it? It's going to, it's going to hide. It's going to wait. It's going to pounce. So yeah. So in that respect, really, really good. However, the reason I've not finished it is because some of the level design it just felt dragged out um, some of the level design just got really really monotonous and it's like come on guys you don't need to drag the game out to the 25 hour job it would have been you know if, I think if it had been more like a sort of a 10 or 12 hour experience then I think it would have been absolutely phenomenal and really up there but I, I think as, as it is they just they just dragged it out a bit too long which is a shame I suppose there's some concern over largely being a single player game though isn't there yeah yeah it's difficult it might not be in the decision. I don't know. I wasn't involved in the in the, uh, in the process. You've run us out of our questions. Okay. You know, anything we haven't given you the chance to say that you'd like to? I, I'm still, I mean, as I said to you on, on chat the other day, I'm still really amazed that you guys are still so dedicated to the franchise. Obviously not just on the game, but the whole, you know, Aliens and Predator stuff. It, it's great. I kind of wish I'd got, got enough time and, and, and energy to, to put into it <laughs> as well. You know, I love, love the franchise. It'd be good to work on it again. I can't see that. That's going to but uh but yeah give it a shot okay uh, well but yeah other than that yeah no just thank you guys for, the, for inviting me along it's been it's, it's been hot actually it's really warm in this room mm, yeah. <laughs> but um but no no it's been good it's been a nice little chat well yeah thanks thanks for coming on and uh... Ho- hopefully i've not bored everyone to tears and there's actually some something interesting to to listen to thanks for listening everybody i would just like to point out that we were actually joined by a fourth guest you might have heard some of his uh, little squeaks and um, noises throughout. Alex's little boy Albert was um, was there for most of that. So some of the um, some of his contributions might have made it through the editing. He wasn't too happy with his dad talking AVP throughout the night. Um, but I would like to say you know, thank you once again to Alex. Uh, we do really appreciate people um, such as yourself taking the time to uh, come and talk to a couple of nerds about you know Alien and Predator. You know, there's, it's a bit of an exciting time at the minute. There's lots of Alien Covenant news and lots of um, the Predator news uh, currently cropping up. And, of course, there's uh, Dark Horse's uh, Life and Death series that uh, they're out. So, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff to keep uh, keep track of. So make sure you keep an eye on the uh, on the front page on you know, www.avpgalaxy.net or on the Facebook page or the Twitter page. You know, we're plenty of social media um, channels that you can keep tabs on us on, depending on which one you're on. So it's uh, at EVP Galaxy for Twitter and Aliens vs Predator Galaxy on Facebook. And we also have the Instagram now too. 
Of course we do, yes. And that is just uh, Alien vs Predator Galaxy as well. And that's a relatively recent thing. It's doing alright so far. Um, so yeah, that's it. So, this is Corporal Higgs. And Ridgetop. Signing off.